McDonald's presents Burger Reviews by Hamburglar. Today's review, the hotter, juicier, classic burgers. Mr. Hamburglar. Bravo, bravo. He said, of all the McDonald's burgers I've ever hamburgled, these are the hottest, juiciest, and tastiest. Bravo. Hurry in and enjoy one of our 350 bundles, like a daily double and small fries for a limited time. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any of the offer comparison of prior classic burgers. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey everybody, I'm John Lovett and you're listening to Crooked Conversations. On today's episode, we're going to hear an interview between DeRay McKesson, host of Pod Save the People, and Oregon Representative Jennifer Williamson. They chat about non-unanimous jury laws, what that means for felony convictions, and how those laws reflect systemic injustice in our judicial system. For more conversations like this, check out DeRay's podcast, Pod Save the People. Do it. I wanted to talk to you specifically around the non-unanimous jury situation that is true in two states right now, Louisiana and Oregon. It looks like Louisiana uh, might be able to change that this fall on the ballot, but it's not really moving in Oregon and you are the insider's insider. So I thought that I'd call you and just ask what's up. Sure. Yeah, you're right. Uh, Oregon is in bad company with Louisiana on uh, non-unanimous juries. You know, We all know that most people take it for granted that the American justice system requires unanimous jury verdicts of, you know, 12 people in order to find somebody guilty of a crime. It's really one of the hallmarks of our system. And it's an an intentionally high bar for uh, someone to be convicted of a crime. And it's not the case in Oregon. It's not the case in Louisiana. And I think most Oregonians aren't aware of that. Uh, Our Constitution was amended to allow uh, a conviction of a felony other than murder on a 10-2 jury verdict. And this was just a way, I think, to rig the system. Oregon is the only state in the nation that the territorial and state constitutions included an exclusionary clause for African Americans. And it was based out of this deep-seated racism and anti-Semitism, anti-immigrant sentiment within our state government from its founding really through the 20th century that led to our amendment, our constitution being amended in 1934 to allow for non-unanimous jury trials. So what can we do? Well, I think there's a couple of things we can do. We really thought that we were going to move forward last year. In fact, the Oregon District Attorneys Association launched a PR move. Um, Some might call it a stunt under the guise that they wanted to overturn this this law. They wanted to amend the Constitution for unanimous juries. But after they announced the effort, it became clear that they wanted to do more than just correct this horrendous wrong in our Constitution, that they wanted to use this as a backdoor way to target um, the rule that allows defendants in Oregon the right to waive a jury trial in favor of having a judge hear their case. The district attorneys wanted to make sure that they had the same right, and they were unwilling to back the proposed amendment to the Constitution unless it expanded their rights as district attorneys. And so once that was called out by the ACLU of Oregon and the Oregon Criminal Defense Lawyers Association, the DAs immediately dropped the effort. And what's so unfortunate is we had a number of DAs throughout the state who were willing to say that this was a racist process, 
but then were unwilling to continue forward unless they got what they wanted out of it. And we've got some DAs that are not what I would call forward-looking. They um, they want policies that protect the prosecution. In fact, one told the Oregonian, our newspaper, that he believed that non-unanimous jury uh, jury verdicts empowered jurors, and it, it was the protection of the right of defendants, and that he thought it served justice to allow that to happen. So the initial move to amend the Constitution was was not ongoing, um, but I look forward next session in the 2019 session to introduce a bill that would require unanimous jury verdicts. Now, I believe, as I read the Oregon State Constitution, that we can amend that in the legislature. We can change the unanimous jury rule that it's a it's a may require non-unanimous, not shall require non-unanimous. And I think what will happen is hope we'll pass the bill. We'll have the governor sign it into law, and then the district attorneys will sue us. That's what they've been doing uh, for several years now on all of our criminal justice reform. So I'm just expecting that to follow the same pattern that we've seen in the past. Explain that again. So you think that there is a way to legislatively create space for this Yes, that could actually change it in practice without having to do the constitutional amendment. Is that am I hearing that right, or am I making that up? You're hearing that right. I believe the way that the constitution is worded allows for the legislature to require a higher burden um, that we can require a unanimous jury. That the constitution allows for that space. And do you think that you could get that through uh, the legislature in Oregon? I'm going to try. I think so. We've <laughs> we've been doing criminal justice reform in Oregon for as long as I've been in the legislature. Actually, before that, there was a blue ribbon panel appointed by then-Governor John Kitzhopper in 2011 to start looking at our sentencing, sentencing reform, what we needed to do to reset our criminal justice system in Oregon. And since that time, we've had a major criminal justice reform bill in every session. So my colleagues have um, been working hard on this. And I believe that we can bring justice to this by passing a bill in 2019. And what's going on with Measure 11? Can you both explain Measure 11 to people that don't know what it is? And and I'd love to know your take on Measure 11, like what we can do to potentially mitigate its damage. Sure. Measure 11 is our mandatory minimum sentencing regime that was passed by the voters um, almost 20 years ago now. And what's interesting about Measure 11 is there was also a Measure 10 that passed at the same time. And that's really been the, the measure that ties the hands of the legislature requiring a supermajority if we change any sentencing that's passed by the voters. So between those two, it sentencing reform really becomes an uphill battle because you have to have a supermajority of the legislature. And we've been able to do some changes in our sentencing law. Um, and you know, I'd just love to call out Jackie Winters, who is the major I'm sorry, the minority leader in the Oregon State Senate, African American woman who has worked very hard on these policies as a Republican. And so it's been very bipartisan. But Measure 11 is something that I believe need to change in the legislature that we can get to that supermajority to allow judges to have discretion again in sentencing. And can you talk about Measure 11's impact on young people? 
Sure. So Measure 11 allows for juveniles um, 15 and older to be tried as adults. And so this is obviously, I believe, problematic uh, because what happens is you have, you know, you have a a juvenile who has, uh, you know, by all accounts committed a juvenile offense, but they are waived into adult court. So the district attorney requires them to go into adult court. And often what happens is those those cases are uh, dealt with by a plea agreement. So clearly there is not uh, an equal bargain there when you're talking about a juvenile and a district attorney uh, bargaining for uh, time in an adult court and eventually an adult prison. And what would you say to the citizens of Portland or the citizens of Oregon actually to do to help bring these changes about? What can, what can they do? For those listeners, what, what's the advice? Well, I think first to um, spend a little time thinking about this issue. You know, Oregon is, uh, like I said, the only state in the nation that came into the union with an exclusionary clause in our Constitution excluding African Americans. Oregon has a very, very racist past. And I don't know that Oregonians necessarily recognize that. So I think... The first issue is really understanding how our system works, whether it's unanimous, uh, non-unanimous jury trials, or the fact that up to 96% of our cases are resolved by plea agreements without much oversight. You know, knowing that, I think, is enough for people to stand up and say, this is not fair, this is not what we want Oregon to be, and it's not what we believe Oregon is, and to then reach out to their legislators and to organizations like the ACLU and get involved in this. Why do you think it's taken so long for the non-unanimous jury issue to to come to a place where there might even be a fix? Like, this isn't a new, it's not new that it exists. Like, why has it taken so long to undo? Right. No, I think it, you know, it was it was adopted as an amendment to our Constitution in 1934. I think that attention being put on the criminal justice system and on reforms and on the on the over-incarceration rate of people of color. Uh, in, you know, in Oregon, we our arrest rate for African Americans is 490% higher than sta- the statewide rate. So, Did you say 490? 490%. Wow. So, it, and, and meanwhile, the African American population in Oregon is 2%. So, we have an incredibly uh, unbalanced system, and I think that there's been a tension from all, you know, all, all sources on the needs for reform in our criminal justice system. I mean, you, you calling out uh, reforms in states and at the federal level in your podcast is a great example of people just becoming aware of something that most people don't see. Most people are not involved in the criminal justice system. Most people don't know what happens at a trial. They think they know, but they don't really know. And when you've got between 94 and 96% of our cases being resolved by an agreement that happens in a closed-door room with the district attorneys, the defendant, and their lawyer, there's no way for, for people to know what's happening in there. And so I think all of the attention is culminating in us taking a hard look at what drives our system, how does our system impact people, 
And what's a better, more just way to make our communities safer? That it's not just locking people up. We know that's not working. In fact, you know, knowing that the longer someone stays in prison, the, the more unsafe they may become means that community safety is just not the, is not the prerogative of that system. So that's why I think it's, it's now the right time to look at non-unanimous juries and changes we need to make both in our statutes and in our constitution to, uh, to bring back the system we had at our founding. Crooked Conversations is brought to you by HBO. Now is the perfect time to catch up on the hit HBO series, Secession. Tommy, yes. challenge. Tell us about what's great about Secession. But uh, do not include a plot detail. No. <laughs> no plot details, no spoilers, no dragons. Okay. So if you like high stakes dramas. Would you call it scintillating drama? About scintillating, wildly rich, some very hateable people. This is the show for you. Vulture there. calls it a full-blown addiction. Well, well, that's weird. I hope that was about the show. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great show. I like it a lot. Set in the boardrooms and penthouse apartments of New York City and beyond, Secession explores power, politics, money, and family in the cutthroat corporate world. Also, like, I feel like you're talking about some real people, and you kind of know who those people are. But Inspired like, Inspired by real events? Yeah. Ripped from the headlines, perhaps? Perhaps. From Adam McKay, director of The Big Short, and in-the-loop writer Jesse Armstrong. Also very good. Secession airs Sunday nights at 10 p.m., and you can watch the first four episodes right now on streaming and on-demand platforms only on HBO. Bong. I can't really do the noise they do at the beginning. Well, that was really good. <laughs> Crooked Conversations is brought to you by Blinkist. <laughs> it says, you may replace the title Fire and Fury by using the list in the attached copy. <laughs> no. If there's a book that you're not going to actually read, but you're just going to get the cliff notes for, Fire and Fury is a great, great choice. If you're like me, the list of books you want to read or those people suggest you to read is never ending and always expanding. Love it. Read the Bible. <laughs> I read the Bible. I read the Bible. Whatever. You simply don't have time to read them all. Our sponsor. I was like, what's the New Testament all about? Our sponsor, Blinkist. I was like, it's long. <laughs> That's what it's about. <laughs> Our sponsor, Blinkist, has solved all of your long list of must-reads once and for all. Blinkist is the only app that takes thousands of the best-selling nonfiction books and distills them down to their most impactful elements, so you can read or listen to them in under 15 minutes, all on your phone. With Blinkist, you can expand your knowledge by squeezing more reading into your daily routine without disrupting it. Plus, you can listen from anywhere. The Blink car. Shower. Sure. Subway. Um, a hike. A ravine. The moon. The Blinkist library is massive. From timeless classics like Think and Grow Rich. Love that one. <laughs> to current bestsellers like Fire and Fury, which we already said we were going to cover. Blinkist is constantly curating and adding new titles from best of lists, so you're always getting the most powerful ideas in made-for-mobile format. Five million people are using Blinkist to expand their minds 15 minutes at a time. Right now, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash Crooked Convos to start your free trial or get three months off your yearly plan when you join today. That's Blinkist. B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. Like, like you're the kind of guy that blinks. Ist. <laughs> Dot com slash Crooked Convos to start your free trial or get three months off your yearly plan. That's Blinkist.com slash Crooked Convos. Crooked 
And I wanted to talk about the plea reform bill. Mm-hmm. And the bill would prohibit a release agreement from jail from being linked to a defendant's waiver. Can can we talk about like the big components of the plea reform bill? Sure. So uh, this past session uh, in February of 2018, I introduced a bill to uh, reform what can go into our plea agreements and jail release agreements. And this was partially because my office was sent a um, an agreement from Multnomah County, uh, which is where Portland is, and it was a plea agreement for misdemeanor disorderly conduct. And it was like a seven-page document that included um, waiving your right to challenge the conviction based on new evidence, uh, your right to challenge it based on ineffective assistance of counsel, um, your right to challenge a sentence as unconstitutionally cruel and unusual. So these defendants were waiving a whole bunch of rights that, A, didn't belong in a misdemeanor plea agreement, and B, were so disproportional that I thought, how are these, how is this happening? How is there so little oversight that we could end up in this state with defendants waiving what I believe are core rights? And so I also... I also about the same time saw a release agreement um, from one of our counties that said, we'll let you out of jail, but you have to waive your right to be present at trial. So what was happening is the district attorney would... What? What does that even mean? So here's how it happened or how it would work. So you get arrested and this is a... this county includes a lot of um, uh, vacation homes. It's on the coast. So they uh, have a lot of tourists out there. So what they thought was appropriate was you get arrested, you get charged, you sign a a release agreement to get out of jail so you can go home. um, And it says, if you don't show back up to trial, we're going to have the trial without you. And so what was happening is the district attorney was (laughs) having a trial. No big deal. The defense attorneys were saying, I can't represent my client, they're not here. And so they would have to um, they would have to ask the judge to excuse them so they didn't do something that was unethical. And they would have a trial without a defendant or a defense attorney. And all but one of the cases, as you might imagine, uh, ended up being <laughs> um, guilty. Uh, the one right. case where it wasn't is because none of the witnesses showed up. But I about, it's like a bad TV show, right? It's ama- It was amazing. I could not believe it. I could not believe it was happening in Oregon, and so that was the same time we got this misdemeanor plea agreement. And I thought, what what is going on? Our system is being run by agreements right now. People aren't going to trial for a lot of reasons, and so as we move through criminal justice reform. We have to t- we have to look at what's happening in these jail release agreements and these plea agreements because they are not a fair bargain. And regardless of, I think what district attorneys and judges may think, this is this is an unequal playing field. When you're trying to get out of jail because you know you're going to lose your job or um, you have you want to get back to your family and there's real economic impacts, you don't have much of a choice but to sign. A release agreement that has you waive all these core constitutional rights. And the same with a with a plea deal. You know, it's 
especially in a non-unanimous jury state, which means the district attorney doesn't even have to convince all 12 people in the jury box that you're guilty, only 10. So the pressure is even higher in a state like Oregon or Louisiana when you're looking at your ability to get a fair trial. And when you have mandatory minimums, the district attorney comes in and says, you know, if you take this, if you take this right now, I'll give you five years. If you go to the trial, if you go to a jury trial and you're convicted by 10, not 12 people, you may get 10 years. So it's all, it, it, to me, it just feels like the thumb is on the scale of justice on the side of the prosecutors. And as a policymaker in the legislature, it's our job to tell our district attorneys what we believe is the best policy for the state of Oregon. And, you know, we've seen, we've seen agreements where they've waived the laws that we have passed in reducing sentences, they've put into plea agreements that the defendant agrees to be sentenced under the old laws with higher, longer sentences um, in order to get that plea agreement. And so it just is outrageous to me. And that's, that's where um, I'm turning my attention in, ad- in addition to the non-unanimous jury verdicts. But I'm turning my attention to these deals because it's the vast, vast majority of cases in Oregon are resolved that way without what feels like any sort of rules of engagement. And where, what's the status of that bill? So we passed um, we passed a skinny down version of the bill in uh, 2018. I couldn't get everything I wanted, but uh, we made it illegal to have those kinds of release agreements from jail. We also made it um, illegal to require somebody um, waive their right to their some of the evidence that will be taken, like the grand jury recording um, and the like. And there's now a group of us that are meeting. Uh, trying to figure out, really answering a fundamental question, which is what are your core rights that no matter what, you can't waive? Um, You know, a great example is the right to challenge uh, based on ineffective assistance of counsel. What, What they're saying there is the attorney who advises you to sign the plea agreement, you can't come back and say they were an ineffective, um, ineffective lawyer for me. And so is it even ethical to allow somebody to, to sign an agreement that waives their right to say, this lawyer is not representing me well? So I will bring back a bill. It's uh, like a joke. In, it's in like this is one big joke. It's like one big joke. That's crazy. Oh, it is one big joke. It's so, and it's all done in private agreements, right? So nobody is sitting in that room um, who is overseeing this process and, some of our judges are um, are critical of these agreements and will say, go back and, and change this. You know, you can't have the defendant do this or that. Um, but a lot, a lot of our judges don't. They treat it as though it's a private contract, like you're buying or selling a car and that the parties have equal power in the situation. And that is just not true. So we have to do something about it. And uh, like I said, there's a group of us working on it. Um, I'm hoping we can we can get to an answer to the question of what are your core rights as a defendant. But I intend to bring back a bill that will address some of these issues and uh, both give guidance to judges for what they should be looking for in plea agreements and empower them to say, no, this is not something that I, I believe is fair. And so you need to go back to the drawing table and a list of things that you just can't waive. 
because it's just not it's just not just to allow people when they're in duress to waive certain rights that we all believe we have in this country when it comes to the criminal justice system. And why did you run to be a representative? Why was that important to you? Well, it's it's funny, Duray. My background, I'm a lawyer, but my background was in higher education. And at a time when I, I, I was a vice president at Portland State University, which is Oregon's largest university. It's in downtown Portland. It's our urban university. Um, we were desperate to build buildings on the college campus. We had a kind of cobbled together campus and we were growing by leaps and bounds. And having an inability to get state resources to build college buildings for students who were already there because we were going through a massive prison building boom uh, is really what got me involved in criminal justice reform. And from there, uh, when when the former representative of my district decided to run for a different political office, I thought, why not me? And so I jumped in and I actually talked about Measure 11 on my campaign and that I wanted to change it. And it was one of the reasons that I was running. Got it. And where can people go to learn more about you and to learn more about how to get in contact with you? Well, our Oregon legislature has a website. And if you Google Jennifer Williamson, Oregon legislature, it'll point you right there. Boom. What's a piece of advice that you've gotten over the years that stuck with you? Oh, Um, (laughs) in my political career? No, no, in life. Oh, in life. It's one of the questions we ask everybody. Um, I think one of the pieces of advice that I hold dear, and in fact, I have a little plaque in, in my bathroom on the mirror that I see every morning, is to live your truth. Because if you don't, you will both be miserable, and you've got a truth that nobody else has, and your ability to shine that out into the world is, is, will both make you a better person and make the world a better place. And then uh, there are people who have protested, who've emailed, who called, who've done all those things, and they haven't seen the change that they want. What do you say to those people? Well, I know how difficult it is when you voice your opinion, that you write to your legislator, and you don't see the change that you want to see in the timeline that you expect to see it. And I would just say that this this takes long hours and hard work to change a system that is incredibly entrenched. And being okay with incremental changes, as difficult as they are, is what I would tell folks, because we can't change it all overnight, but we can take a systematic approach to make the system better. It's one of the reasons that once I looked at non-unanimous juries, I decided to delve into plea agreement uh, reform because so much of our prison population, uh, like I said, up to 96% um, is driven by plea agreements without much oversight. So as we move through the process, um, you discover one thing that needs to be changed and then next learn of another thing and, and move through it in a systematic way. And so I would tell people to not get weary that this is hard work and it's heartbreaking work sometimes, but we're on the, we're on the side of, of justice. And so to just keep slogging on. Well, there we go. 
Thank you so much. We consider you a friend of the pod and can't wait to have you back as this keeps moving. Oh, thank you, Dre. I will be back anytime to update you on the work we're doing out here in Oregon. You just heard a crooked conversation between DeRay McKesson from Pod Save the People and Oregon Representative Jennifer Williamson. If you like this episode, be sure to check out Pod Save the People and dig into the Crooked Conversations archives. We cover it all in those archives. What topic won't we explore, you know? <laughs>